Greetings all. Greetings. Peace to you all. Shalom. This is Chief Yuya, and uh, we're at the 105th episode of the Chief Yuya podcast, 105, Knowledge Cipher, Power Refinement. So I want to thank you for coming through, as always. Thank you. And, um, you know, in this segment, I wanted to get into something that uh, I've I've touched on before, but uh, coming at it from a, a different different angle, right? And uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. I know you will, you know. But uh, I want to start with a quote. I did not forget our our format that I had established before. But ever since the um, Jezebel series, I, I kind of just got into a space where I just wanted to jump in. You know, sometimes you just posed poised and, and just for battle and you just want to jump in and you know and you got to go with that that flow of um that sort of devotion you know going into what's being culminated so uh i am going to share this and um then i'm going to give a different kind of explanation but i'm gonna give a quote then from his linga shiva released his perfect seed which had the fragrant perfume of jasmine or the blue lotus. Agni took it into his hands and drank it, rejoicing, thinking, elixir, and then Shiva vanished. <laughs> so that that particular uh, quote or um, coming uh, out of a, really a devotion for the, the lingam, you know, if some of you listened to the recent project I did, which was Hard On Part Two, right? And there's a there's a song that I sing in that one called Yoni. And I think a lot of people are familiar with, you know, hearing terms like Yoni eggs and things like that. And of course, the lingam isn't spoken about as much, you know, and that's that's no one's fault, you know, other than uh, just people who just don't speak about it, <laughs> you know. But the lingam, as the yoni is the female uh, reproductive portal, the lingam is the male's um, reproductive or the phallus and his, abil his ability to um, assert his creative principle onto the world. So uh, in your Sanskrit, the word lingam means sign. You know, and the sign is for Shiva and Shiva being that unmanifested energy, but that energy that is absolute, you know. So there are um, it's interesting because Shiva itself does not technically have a sign, though the sign um of the lingam itself, it stands as its own principle. You know, it says in um, the writings that Shiva has no sign. Shiva has no taste. Shiva has no color. Shiva has no order, no odor, excuse me, because Shiva is beyond our reach of humans or beyond the reach of touch, beyond the reach of words. You know, it's, it's uh, the immutable and the immovable. So, the way we recognize um, the nature of something or that sign, that distinct sign that we recognize the nature of a thing is called lingam, you know, or, or linga, 
different different terms. And um, we have what's called Shiva Lingam, which is the Lingam of Shiva or the phallus of Shiva. And that phallus, sometimes we're in, in the stories will go through or will pierce certain words or sometimes it will whirls or will pierce certain cities. And um, there's even stories about how um, Shiva's lingam is used as a column, you know, um, and it's sort of like a, a column of light in order to travel between different worlds, you know. And um, there's a flower that falls from the top of the column or from its peak where no one's able to reach the peak, but the flower is called the kataki. And when that flower falls, um, you know, it's coming from such a high space that no one truly knows when it will touch the ground. You know, and there's, there's stories around that, you know, when we're dealing with um, understanding the microcosmic spiritual world and the effect that it has uh, on the macrocosmic physical world. So what I wanted to share or to speak a little bit about um, in this session, as we're moving through as um, those who are understanding the universal human liberty and understanding so many of the different laws and dynamic history that we have as a people, you know, and um, the type of essential sort of um, ideologies that some of us are still struggling and moving through. It's 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 important to always kind of go back to the monumental sort of foundations that we have, which cause us to look at, OK, what's inside and what's outside? You know, sometimes that that inner thing is important or we have the understanding of the upper now and lower now, you know, um, so many different forms that we may look at in different traditions where we take a look at the inner form. But in this in this segment, I want to look at the inner form and address it in terms of the alchemical principles, because to make a, a, a long story or a long lesson much shorter, which we're going to do in this segment, <clears throat> you have this interplay between what we know to be uh, alchemy and alchemy has this this interplay uh, with the concepts or the principles and the structure of astronomy or astrology, we could even say, right? So when the two interplay together, we get this uh, sort of, we get this, this vibration, this string, you know, if any of you have ever played a string instrument, you know that a string, when you're, when you're stringing it up, there's usually a place where you will first insert it into the instrument, like a, some sort of hole, and then it will lock into that hole, and then you'll continue to string it across the instrument, and then it will tie into some other part of the instrument. So uh, whether that's a tuning peg, whether that's a piano screw, you know, but there's now there's this long string. And when you when you strike that string, you get a vibration, right? But the vibration is in uh, an interplay and in, in a correlation between the potency of these two locking posts. You know whether it's on the left and the right, or whether it's on the top or the bottom. However, 
It is, but it, but these are the two corresponding posts, and then in between that there lies a vibration, there lies a tone, and of course we can tune those tones to different things. So just like in, with an instrument, you may have the notes of C, G, and E. I was looking for a guitar around me. Uh, there's one behind me, but <laughs> maybe I'll add it. I'll add it later. I can add it now. I'll stop being lazy. <laughs> So you may have uh, grab this one. All right, so you have C, E, and G, which would be C, E, G. I don't even know if this guitar is in tune, but it doesn't matter for the purposes of what we're doing. A little out of tune. But nonetheless, you have C, E, G, right? And then um, that's in one position. But if we played those same notes, C, E, G, right, in another position, it would be the same exact thing or the same notes, rather, but um, it might be a different octave. So, for instance, it could be that C, E, G played in a different place, but it's the same notes. Right. So that's your that would be like a, a great um, illustration of your inner and your outer. So we have those tones and they're being processed on different levels. So they may express themselves a bit differently, but it's the same thing. So this is the same as this. And I don't know how well my um, my uh uh, think my guitar is being picked up right now, but I think you probably could hear some of it, even if it's faint. But um, this would be the same as this, you know, which um, would be the same as right. But they're they're in different planes. C, C, C. Three different C's, but the same C. So when we understand that there's a combination of tone vibrations and they may be processed differently depending on what plane they are, right? So if I'm playing a low C, at least on a guitar, I might hold my hand differently or strike it differently based on what it is. But if I'm playing a high higher C, I'm going to hold my hand differently. I, it's even in a different place, but I'm going to I'm going to strike it differently because I'm now moving around the neck of the guitar. This low C, um, try not to turn this into a music lesson, but let's just say it's um, I have more room. My fingers have more room on the top here at the upper part of the guitar. But when I go to the to the higher frets, go lower down. I have less room. So I'm even going to hold my hand differently. I'm going to hold my shoulder differently. I'm going to hold my wrist differently, knowing that I have less room. As opposed to... Right? So there is a combination of those different tones and vibrations across different planes. And it may sound different. Put this guitar back. Um... It may sound different depending on which plane 
that I'm operating from. So it's the same thing when we're dealing with alchemy. We may be striking a vibration across different planes, you know. So, but once we understand that these are all like, just like that string, they're all tied together, right? So the string, in order for you to get a vibration out of a string, like if I took a guitar string or a bass string or piano string or anything, even oh, my drums back over there, um, I'm not going to grab my drum. But but even if I took that string uh, or anything, I have to pull some tension on it in order to get a tone. If I just took a string and threw it on the ground and then like plucked it, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to flick it around. Right. So I need it to be tied to different places in order to now create a tone vibration. Right. So. You can have post. In different even kingdoms, the mineral kingdom has a post, the mental kingdom has a post, the spiritual kingdom has a post, the um, vegetation kingdom has a post. Right. And there there's a string that ties to each one. So you could strike out something in the in the mental kingdom of a person and you'll get a, a tone that goes all the way to the mineral kingdom. You say, man, like, I, how how is it that I'm affecting the mint, the mineral, and then that, or you may affect something in the spiritual, or you may expect affect something in the vegetation, because each of them have different potencies that are tied to each other. You see, so they're the, but it's the same thing that you're sending out, but that same thing is operating on different planes. Okay, um, that same thing is operating on different planes. So whether we have those notes CEG or if we look at it from a mathematical perspective, we may have, um, let's say, al- algebraic. We have A, B, C and X. Right. And um, from an astrological vibrational point, we might have point A, point B, point C. And that and A has the same vibration astrologically as a right so and what i mean by that is that a let's say on earth has the same vibration as a in the stars b has the same c has the same x has the same so so now we find that um each one vibrates in the same space or vibrates in the same way so essentially if you put a b c together and let's say if A, B, and C together, if they all equal X, right? Then if A, B, and C equal X on Earth and you strike out an X, then A, B, C on and the stars will equal X and you'll strike out X in the stars. So one thing corresponds to another across different planes. It's, you know, it's a... Not a complicated concept, but but I think when we start dealing with the concepts of accountability and owning your, right, owning your sugar, honey, iced tea, it's hard for us to own the fact that everything in existence and on any plane, it vibrates. And there's an inner vibration, which we call alchemy. And then there's an outer vibration, which we call astrology. You see? And 
then you have like these concepts of the transmutations that people used to go through or still try to go through, right? Uh, the transmutation of, of, um, lead to gold of water to wine, even what you read in the scriptures, right? That alchemical process of taking something very ordinary and, and turning it into something, transmuting it. Um, when you look at the, the concept of the breath of life, right? That word spirit or, um, spirea in the Latin, it meaning it means to breathe, but we're implying here the breath of life. So that is our most innermost, uh, essential and core principle that breathing, the breath of life. So, um, when you're dealing with the spiritual aspect of alchemy, it's dealing with the interior breath, spirit, spirer, breath. So breathing alchemy or breath of life alchemy. Right. So now we're dealing with, you know, what are the things inside of us, inside of our spirit that we can transmute and turn into gold? Now, why is gold such the important thing? Because when we look at, again, the law of correspondence, we find out that gold is considered to be a perfect metal because it um, it's very it's very soft. Right. It's very malleable um, and it's ductile. So being ductile, it, it, it conducts things very well, you know, conducts electricity and whatnot very well. So this is a desired human, human state, um, for us to be adaptable. See, that's the malleable. And for us to be able to adapt and transmute our, our own self and who and what we're supposed to be, regardless of the conditions, regardless of the state that we may find ourselves is. We, we also understand that gold is pretty much indestructible. You can melt it down or you can't, vaporized gold, if you will. So that's the correspondence of the eternal quality of a person. You see, um, gold doesn't tarnish, you know, um, and when you put it around other chemical elements, they don't jump. Like some things, when you put around other chemical elements, those other elements will jump onto that element very quickly and start to change it or, or oxidize it or do all sorts of things to it. That's not the case with gold. You know, so it's not easily tarnished or easily attacked. Right. So that's these are some of the um, resistance, you know, properties or the unchangeable properties that we seek for seek out in our human existence. And um, even though we may be like, you know, that that elemental attack, if you will, that could be criticism that people may put on us or, or attempt to put on us, you know, or an acidic tongue that some people may have, or just even sometimes the pains of, of going through the pains of, of our trials and tribulations of the different afflictions that we may face. And, you know, when we look at gold, oftentimes gold is seen as a, it's a standard, like we say the gold standard. You know, um, there's a standard value there. So when we look at the life of a person, what is the standard value you see? So the reason we would see that as more of a spiritual alchemical process and internal, because the body is nothing like any of the things I just listed. You know, the body is not very durable. Um, the body can is easily corrupted. Um, it's easily corroded by things that come from the outside. Um, you know, it's it's not even so much the um, part of you 
or the, 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 the part of you, the personality part of you that's affected by all things you come into contact with. Now, of course, the, your personality is a spiritual being, too. But, you know, that can get corrupted, you know. But um, when we, we, we look at even the ego, ego can be changed and can be moved and it can live, it can die. But when we look at the goal and we look at, let's say, uh, let's just look at the ego for a second. Like the ego is like um, the ego in your and the person is like the sun in astrology. In that sense, it's, it's got it's the sum. It's a total sum of all experiences and things of that person. You know, um, it's a spark and it, and it could be something that doesn't necessarily die in something that could be malleable, but it's, <laughs> it's a tough character to get beyond those qualities. So, um, some may equate the ego to gold. I don't necessarily do that. Um, but I would definitely say the gold when we look at the transmutation, because in some of the early alchemists, their goal wasn't just to, um, turn lead into gold. Like people, you know, a lot of times when they think about, they just think, oh, they're trying to turn lead into gold. And that wasn't actually the case for all. What some were trying to also do was take the, the very, uh, base and normal characteristics of their, of their internal fluids and turn those into divine material. So they could transmute their bodily fluids into divine materials. They were trying to make um, magnetic forces out of them so that way they could perform miracles because it was known that some of the yogis were able to do that. You know, so it wasn't just about taking external metals. It was about also taking the internal like, man, what can I turn my blood into? What can I turn my saliva into? What can I turn my orgasmic fluids into, you know, and so forth and so on. And being able to create this divine parallel to all things that are greater, you know, to all things that are better. And really, there was a desire to um at the same time to conceal some of this knowledge from those who might be vulgar and to reveal and show it to those who may be worthy, right? This was a part of the process, you know? So um, sometimes when you start speaking about astrology with people, it, it, they get very confused a little bit because it's like um, they'll start telling you who they are because of their sign. I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. So what is influencing what? Right. Because remember, it's a it's a it's a note that you're hitting. Right. You're you're striking that note. And yes, when you're born, there may be certain influences on your corruptible body. Yeah, that's, sure. That's possible. Right. That's that's totally possible. But those influences are also influencing the food that's around you. And, and the vegetative, all things work within a kingdom. You even have the marine kingdom. Marine kingdom is a deep kingdom. People don't talk about as much because it's full of so many demons. But the, the marine kingdom is tough. <laughs> you know, you know, stories about Aquaman and and Prince Namor. It, it, it's so much deeper than what they show you in, in you know, um, in the comics, you know, in D.C. But nonetheless, this this concept there of everything affecting another thing, it goes beyond just the influence that the moon has on you or the influence that the sky has on you even. And understanding that, yeah, in astrology, everything on Earth has its correspondence in the sky. 
of course, and everything in the sky has its correspondence on earth, but everything in the sky has its correspondence in the animal kingdom. Everything in the animal kingdom has a correspondence in the human mental kingdom. Everything in the human mental kingdom has a correspondence in the vegetative kingdom. So if you're, if you're looking to dive into the gold part of you, the golden part of you, if you're looking to dive into that and to make your internals and transmute what you are and who you are inside as a golden sort of thing, as a perfect sort of thing, as an indestructible sort of thing, then now what you're starting to do, you'll start to find that, yeah, your, your terminology will change, but, you know, oftentimes freedom was bought in gold. You know, feudal lords um, and the potentates, they would demand that people would um, buy their freedom in gold, you see, and not everyone could do that. You see, so some then started to want to develop that alchemical knowledge, you know, in order to do that transmutation so that they could um, show people how to buy their their freedom. And many people were murdered, you know, um, because they wouldn't share the secrets of turning the ordinary into gold, if you will. Right. But again, it's not just an, an, an external sort of alchemical process of turning what's around you into gold, but it's also uh, turning what's within you into gold and not just for the purposes of, you know, I want to perform miracles so I can live in luxury and buy my comfort and buy my leisure or maybe even help the poor. Cause that was, that was the, um, aim of some individuals. That was, that was the aim of some individuals, but, um, the process is still the same, whether you're turning lead into gold or whether you're turning your spirit or your blood into gold, you know, and, and to match that incorruptible part of you, you still you still have to strike a tone. You're still striking a vibratory tone when you, when you're performing that process. You see, you still start to look at the value of your own life, and you may look at the external plane of plane of life and say, "Okay, I'm going to raise my vibrations and my mental state to a point where my energy and my communication is really only being sent past the astral planes." You know, so my my vibratory rate, um, it will affect spiritual substance and it will build up the spiritual body. See, that's the that's the key. Sometimes we have communication that is so earth laced and so corruptible that we can't really affect the spirit body. And as a result, we're we're sending a vibration out, but it's a very weak tone or we're constantly telling the spirit I don't want you. I don't need you. Like we would a, a child we don't want. But when we start to raise up and use our communication and, you know, to, to a point that we're pushing beyond the boundaries of the different states of being um, in our world and even the spiritual world, we send out um, a soul. We send our souls further on its journey and it contacts with further external conditions. Some some people, some systems will call this prayer. Some systems will call it meditation. But those those terms don't even come close to what it truly is when you can send rays of vitality. You know, I was reading an article earlier today. Let's see if I can find it. I probably won't. Now that I'm now that I'm going to look for it, I bet I won't find it. But there was um the furthest. Let's see. Uh, I 
don't think I'm gonna find it. But there was a um there was the furthest communication that was ever done. Um which just which just achieved. I'm looking as I'm talking. But essentially, um researchers have sent out a probe sixteen million miles um outside of the Earth's atmosphere and they sent a laser nah I'm not gonna find it. They sent a laser back to Earth a laser communication. And this is the furthest that they've ever been able to send a message from quote unquote outer space to Earth. And um they're saying now, you know, there's this huge implications for how um spacecrafts that they send out can now communicate with each other because they can communicate communicate across such far distant distances. And they use like an infrared uh, light beam to send that message back. I thought that was kind of interesting. Infrared, because infrared is so is so tricky. It requires point to point contact, you know, so you have to be really precise with with uh, infrared. Um, infrared is what they use um, in like um, TV remotes. You know, it's like when you use your TV remote, you have to point it to the TV because um, because of how infrared rays work. They they don't move out. They're not omnidirectional, you know, um, but they actually have to be pointed at the exact the exact reception point. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But nonetheless, that's an example of what has to happen if you want to start moving beyond the plane, the planes that are occupied by ego. The planes that are occupied by your fear or by your hatred or by your miscommunications with yourself, but raising that soul vibration to the mental states where communication goes beyond that, um, it becomes transmuted goal. So it becomes even better than goal, you know, so that transmuted goal that that inner or that breath alchemist must use finally becomes what it needs to survive because your body becomes so different. And your liberty becomes so different that your survival material becomes different. You see, what you have now becomes even more valuable than your ego. You see, because the goal will survive when the ego perishes. You know, it's the persistence of your consciousness. And it, it becomes a different sort of immortality. You see, when that transmuted goal, it, it acquires a certain different kind of value that it never had before. It's priceless. It's a priceless immortality of self-consciousness. You see, better than copper, <laughs> better than other uh, metals that you may put into a furnace and clean up through the spiritual light of, of your reverberatory furnace, if you will. You see, so I just wanted to share that. It's not going to be a long segment. Just wanted to share a little bit about the value of gold. And, you know, not just external goal. Yeah, we want to, we want external goal. We want our freedom for sure. But, you know, how it relates to our alchemical and our astrological properties. And the key is to get beyond even our current process of goal. There's goal and then there's transmuted goal. You see, and the way you get to that transmuted goal, you know, goal is very malleable for a reason. It gets beat up. Now, I'm going to get into that in another segment, but that's the building of character. If you haven't been beat up, if you haven't been hammered, what are you? You see, what 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 are you truly? How you know when we talk about how love presents itself, when the the creator shows love, the creator pulls out a hammer. 
says, all right, I'm going to have to beat you around. I have to beat you up. And sometimes those those beatings don't come into the in the form that we think they should. So this can't be of the originator. This can't be of Yahuwah. It's got to be of something else. And we're like I said, we're going to cover that. But if we're truly our goal, we're soft. <laughs> we're soft but indestructible, kind of like water. You see, if we truly are moving in that in that power and in that consciousness, you know, so there's such great value in gold, such great value. All right, this has been our 105th podcast. This is Chief Yuya, and I want to thank you for tuning in. For those of you who are interested, um, and our new life global ministries, just head over to our new life global ministries. That's what I head up. Um, A N U. Everything is always in the description, but A N U L I F E G L O B A L dot O R G, and you can uh, sign up there and so forth and so on. All right. So I'm going to get back to my old con- my old format soon with the book recommendations and the the quotes and the reading from the questions and things like that. We're gearing back up to it. But for now, I just wanted to drop some short and quick, um, semi quick <laughs> and semi short information on you all. All right. So until such time, be well, this is chief Yuya. You can find me on all social media platforms, but if you have questions, send them to questions at chief com. questions at chiefyuya.com. If there's anything beyond one question, sign up for a consultation with me at askosiris.com. Askosiris.com. Okay. I see you on the 106. We'll, we'll deal. We'll deal with some of the the challenges we go through and what they truly mean. What is the spiritual and alchemical reasoning for some of the the beatings that we take in our life? All right. Peace. Yeah.
just taste it. 